must have been uh, so easy in, in the days of the disciples, in Jesus' day, it must have been so easy for them to believe in him, don't, don't you think? I mean, they went with him. They saw with their own eyes the things that he did. And, and, and how much easier it would be to believe if, if we were just there, if we could just see those things that he did. Right? Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? You thought about it? Sometimes when our faith is tried, we, we, could, we could wish, we might even ask for God, if, please give me some kind of sign that, that you're with me, some kind of indication of your blessing. Uh, show me something so that I can believe. And if, because if we had some empirical evidence from time to time, we could more easily believe in Jesus, more easily believe in God's love for us, don't you think? I want to read to you today from John's Gospel, chapter 2. I'm going to focus in on verses 23 through 25. I'm going to back up to some of the verses that we've read um, previously. I'm going to start at about verse 18, and you'll recall here that Jesus had gone to the temple. He cleared out those who were changing uh, the money there for the worshipers coming at the Passover, uh, cleared out those who were selling animals in the temple courts. And we found that uh, in verse 18 that uh, the Jews demanded of him a sign. I pointed out at the time that in John's Gospel, when John says the Jews, he's not speaking about an ethnicity or even a religion. All the people uh, here were Jewish, Jesus and his disciples. But he's speaking about the religious leaders. And he says that they come to him and they ask for a sign. They say, what, what sign do you give to show us that you, author- that you have authority to do all these things? And Jesus had answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. And they replied, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? John then tells us, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, the disciples recalled what he had said. And they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. And now our text for today. And now while he was still in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many people saw the signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. And Father, we thank you that even though you know what is in us, you've loved us with an everlasting love. You've sent your Son into the world. But, Father, help us today through your word for our faith to be grounded and founded on what's lasting. And we'll give you the praise and the glory as you work in our lives that way. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, there's no question that people saw the things that Jesus did and uh, as a result of doing that, they came and they followed him. They put their faith in him. They trusted him. And there's no question, as we read through the gospel accounts, and particularly John's gospel, that uh, 
people as they see these things and the faith that they have in Jesus, that there's some connection between them. But the question that I want to ask today is, what is a solid foundation for faith? And the question that I want to ask, I can ask that generally, what's a solid foundation for faith? But I want to ask you personally to consider today, what's a solid foundation for your faith? What's a solid foundation for you to rest your faith upon? It's, it's not an academic question. The answer to that question determines those who are faithful to Jesus to the end and those who, although they believe in Jesus' name, that's the language that John will use, although they're disciples, that's what John will call them, although they follow Jesus, that's what John will say of them, they will nonetheless depart from him, never to return again. John highlights for us two different kinds of believers. Those who believe in the Son of God because of the signs that they've seen, and those whose attention is grabbed by the signs that they've seen, but they take him at his word. And the two couldn't be more different. When your faith rests upon signs, the things that God is currently doing for you, the condition for trust will always be, what have you done for me lately? When faith rests on God's word, all apparent evidence to the contrary can't destroy it. When faith rests on signs, the condition for trust will always be, what have you done for me lately? That's true enough, as I said before, that Jesus has done signs, and those things pointed people to him. We saw that uh, earlier in this chapter at the wedding in Cana in Galilee when the water was turned into wine, and we're told that not everybody knew that, but his disciples knew it. And we're told that uh, this, the first of his signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. So there's a connection between the signs that they saw and having faith in Jesus. It's true enough that signs can be a gateway to faith. Uh, In John chapter 10, when we get there, the religious leaders are going to come to Jesus, and they're going to say, Tell us plainly if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah. And Jesus will say to them, he says, you know, I have told you, but you didn't listen to me. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. And he says, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And so there's a connection in this gospel to uh, faith that we're called to and the things that Jesus does. But if our faith, if their faith, if your faith rests upon 
signs, the condition of trust will always be, what have you done for me lately? John chapter 6, um, John's going to tell us about Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And when those people have been fed, follow after Jesus, Jesus says to them, truly you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, now wait a minute. What does that mean? You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but you ate your fill of the loaves. Weren't the loaves a sign? Well, yes, but it wasn't merely that they saw the sign. See, why were they following Jesus? They were hoping for more fish and loaves. They were hoping for founding their faith on what are you going to do for us next? What have you done for us lately? They're willing to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, as long as he keeps giving them what they want. Their faith, such as it was, rested upon the signs. It was dependent upon the signs. And, and, you know, so often in the Gospel of John and throughout the other Gospels, too, people will come to Jesus, ask for a sign, demand for a sign. He doesn't give them a sign. You know, it might be a good idea in business if you've got a restaurant or some other business to give people what they want. Um, In religion, when people give, when someone gives people what they want, that's called a charlatan. Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He's come to give us what we need. That may or may not line up with what we want. And so in John chapter 2 and verse 23, and following that I read a little while ago, we're told that now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about a man, for he knew what was in a man. They believed in his name. Isn't that great? Jesus' response indicates that he didn't really think so. Right? What does that mean, by the way? That's kind of funny language, right? That, that Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. What's, what's John saying, John's saying, Jesus didn't buy it. He could see through them. There's a difference between signs being an introduction to one's faith and one's faith resting upon the signs. And when faith rests upon signs, The condition for trust will always be, what have you done for me lately? I've known people whose faith in Jesus rests entirely on 
what have you done for me lately? They believe in God, they're happy to go to church and sing God's praises, to speak to people about the Lord, as long as the blessings keep coming. As long as there's extraordinary good things coming into their life. As long as uh, all difficulty or ill or evil is kept from their life. But if they're not constantly being fed those signs, their faith evaporates. When faith rests on signs, the condition for trust will always be, what have you done for me lately? But when faith rests on God's word, all the apparent evidence to the contrary can't destroy it. And I want you to back up a little bit in our passage and look at what's happened that Jesus had said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? And uh, they didn't understand what he was talking about. And the disciples didn't even understand, I don't think, what he was talking about. And John tells us, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples called what he said. Listen to this. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus' disciples saw him after the resurrection. But John makes a point of telling us here that what their faith rested upon was that they believed the scriptures and the words that he had spoken. Those two kinds of belief couldn't be more different from one another. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You get, you get his point? That as, that as Jonah was swallowed by that whale, by that fish, and then was regurgitated, came back, as it were, from the dead. It seemed that there was no hope. That's what's going to happen with Jesus. But after that, right, when he comes back, then everybody will believe in him, right? Then there'll be no question. In the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, you remember that uh, parable? There's, a, there's, there's a, an unnamed rich man, somebody named Lazarus, uh, he's a poor man. Both of them die. Lazarus goes, and the picture that we're given is that he's reclining there right in the, in the, in the breast and the, on the chest of Abraham. And the, and, and the rich man is now in torment in hell. And there's a big chasm between them. The chasm can't be crossed, but it's not so big that they can't talk to one another in the story that Jesus is telling. And uh, as there's uh, some request on the part of the rich man for uh, Abraham to send some mitigation to his suffering. And he says, I, there's nothing I can do. 
He says, I, I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my father's house. I, I, I guess out of the question that I should go, but send Lazarus back to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And in Jesus' parable we read, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And I think the point, right, in what Jesus says next has to do with where our faith rests. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. When faith rests on God's word, rather than resting on what has God done for me lately, nothing can destroy it. Now that doesn't mean that it can't be rocked. It doesn't mean that it can't be shaken. The Apostle Paul writes about that in 2 Corinthians 4, and he said, we're afflicted in every way, but not crutched. We're perplexed. The stuff that's come upon us is confusing to us. How could this happen? We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why, ultimately, uh, uh, Paul, where he's going with this and where he'll resolve it, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, and not by sight. Walk by faith. By faith in what? By faith in what I see and my evaluation of whether God's caring well enough for me and whether he's sending blessing and whether he's trustworthy. Or is it faith in what God has said? faith in God's word. You know, time and time again, the Bible tells us to hope in God's word. It's a recurring theme in Psalm 119. Verse 74, May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. Verse 81, My soul faints with longing for your salvation. But I have put my hope in your word. Verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield. I have, can you guess, put my hope in your word. We read it this morning in our responsive reading in Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul tells us faith comes from seeing, right? From seeing signs, from seeing blessings. That's not what Paul says. He says faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. If your faith rests upon signs the condition for your trust will always be, what have you done for me lately? 
when your faith rests on God's word, all apparent evidence to the contrary cannot destroy it. So I want to ask you this morning, what does your faith rest on? John's gospel speaks to us of two different kinds of faith, two different kinds of disciples, two different kinds of followers of Jesus. One is temporary. And the other, while they may be dismayed or shaken to the very roots, are nonetheless permanent. And the difference is this. The faith that doesn't last throughout John's gospel is a constant theme. Is the faith, faith that rests on signs. It's the faith that rests on what has God done for me lately. And if evident and apparent blessings stop or hard things come into my life, then faith evaporates. And and friends, I I just want to tell you that hard things coming into your life are a part of living in a fallen world. Hard things are going to come into your life if you trust in Jesus, but you know what? If if you, uh, out of a petulant anger, turn your back on Jesus, hard things are going to come into your life anyway. It's a part of living in a fallen world. You know that that's why Jesus came. And he came not merely as a spectator, but he came that those hard things would fall upon him. Invited those hard things to fall upon him so so that in him we have the dignity in our suffering. And and it's not just a make-believe, it's the reality of it, the scriptures say, that in our suffering, when we're in Christ, we enter into the suffering of Christ. And there's a purpose for it. And there's an end to it. And an end, a goal for it. That being conformed to Christ in his suffering and death, we would be conformed to him in his glory. The faith that lasts rejoices in signs, rejoices in the blessings, rejoices in the good things that God sends, or refreshed by those blessings. But the faith isn't built upon the blessings. The faith isn't built on, hey, I believe as long as God keeps bad things out of my life. It's a faith founded on God's word. What does your faith rest on? When faith rests on signs, the condition for trust will always be, what have you done for me lately? But when faith rests on God's word, all apparent evidence to the contrary cannot destroy it. You pray with me.
or Father. Uh, Lord, we are a needy people, and we, we cry out to you, and we ask you for your grace. Lord, help us to be those who, who rejoice in the blessings that you send. But, Father, ultimately to hope in your word, in the promises that you've made, in the things that you tell us you've accomplished for us in Christ, and the things that you're accomplishing in us, even when life is difficult. Uh, help our faith to rest not upon our evaluation of whether you've done enough for us lately. But Father, may we, like the psalmist, say again and again, I have put my hope in your word. And for the undestroyable faith that comes from that, we'll give you praise through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mm-hmm.